good morning, Icon. Uh, for those of you I've not yet met, my name is Josh. I serve as the lead pastor here. If you will remain standing for the reading of God's Word. We're just going to do this every week, right? Man, it's windy in Romania, right? Man. Our scripture reading for today comes out of Matthew 7, starting in verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, uh, first I just want to thank you for the work that Kevin and Josh are doing in Romania. I thank you that as we got to see him just a couple weeks ago, the, the impetus in his heart to, to go and to serve and to go at a time when it might be dangerous or it's tricky. I just thank you for his obedience and ask that you would give us all um, a heart to see those who are hurting around us and how you are calling us to step in just like our friend Kevin. And, and I thank you for this section of the Sermon on the Mount that we get to explore today that directly connects with so much of our lived life here in Seattle. And so I, I pray that as we talk about judgment, talk about evaluating one another, God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would give us humility that we need to see ourselves rightly, God. I know myself and I know my friends here are all so prone to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And some of us are blind to it. And so I ask that your Holy Spirit would be our helper, that you'd give us conviction, and that you would help us to see the danger that is in our own hearts before the danger that we see in others. God, we trust you for this. Would you unite your power with my weak words and give us humility? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, we are just about finished with our sermon series as we go through the Sermon on the Mount called Jesus the Great Philosopher. Um, so we have today, uh, we're going to take a, a break next week, obviously for, obviously for Easter. We'll have one more sermon after that, and then after that, anyone, else, anyone know what we're doing? No? I thought I told you guys this before. <laughs> Revelation, there you go, yeah. Uh, super excited for that. Anyone else nervous to go through Revelation? Yes. Yeah. It's going to be great, but uh, it's, it's a little weird, but the weirdness is significant. So I'm excited for it. But for the last three months, uh, we've been slowly walking through the Sermon on the Mount, hearing Jesus's vision for the good life and what a disciple should be seeking after in their 
real life. And it's taken a while, hasn't it? <laughs> we've been in it for three months, and so far we've gone through two chapters. But this is the point in the Sermon on the Mount where we get to speed it up a good bit. And so the, the section on the Sermon on the Mount that we are in today still focuses all on perspectives. So if you remember, throughout the last half of chapter six, Jesus has been speaking about how a disciple should perceive their money, should perceive God's kind provision and attention that speaks to our anxiety. And today, Jesus is continuing with that theme of perspective, but this time, he addresses how we are to perceive our evaluations of each other, and then even our evaluation of God, which is why he gets into verse seven about thinking and evaluating God as a kind father. Now, I read the whole half chapter, a whole half of chapter seven, but we're actually gonna spend most of our time, actually all of our time, in verses one through six, because that, that section around asking it will be given, we've actually spoken a little bit to that already in this series, and I wanna kind of land on something that we don't talk about often, which is, Judgment. So we'll spend all of our time addressing the horizontal, horizontal relationships that, that Jesus speaks of here. And I want to speak to this because the category of judgment, of evaluating others, plasters so much of your real life. Every day, you are evaluating the people around you. And you know, it's said that, that baseball is America's pastime, Right? Well, baseball is dying, and it seems like judgment of one another is becoming the new American pastime. It's what we love to do. We love to judge other people. And these days, we do it without even thinking. Now, now part of this is due to the fact that we have much more access to the judgeable pieces of other people's lives, don't we? We get to see pictures of others that we usually wouldn't see in days gone by. Through social media, we get to see what some of what other people think. I mean, Twitter is literally just this cesspool of data that says, here's what I think, kind of statements. And it is a, it is a cesspool. Through social media, we get a picture of what other people are like. Have you, have you had that moment on social media where you see someone post something and you think, Oh, you believe that? Let's go. Come on, people. Talk back to me. Yeah, we've all had that moment where we think, you really believe that? That kind of turns me off to you a little bit. We love judging other people. We have opportunity for judging others today more than we ever have. And yet, while we love to judge others, we hate to be judged ourselves. Live your truth, we're told. Don't let anyone stand in the way of what you think will make you happy. All of this summed up in that great phrase, only God can judge me. As if that's somehow a better option. As if that's somehow an easier option. We just throw that out as an excuse. So judgment for others and the right, the right assessment of ourselves is important to talk about. It's unavoidable in our, in our life today. So in the, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Remember, Jesus is kind of taking this all from chapter five about greater righteousness and the fulfillment of the law. How are disciples of Jesus supposed to practice judgment, supposed to practice evaluation of others? Jesus's concentration throughout his entire sermon is on the heart of his disciples, 
So how are we to uniquely practice judgment as disciples in such a way to, to come from a, a pure heart that fulfills that greater righteousness? Well, well, first, what we see in chapter seven, verse one, is that we are accountable to our judgments of one another. Jesus opens this section with a warning. Do not judge lest you be judged. And now with a sentence like that, it seems like a sermon on judgment. I could just say that, right? And we could be done. Don't judge one another. And that's it. But is Jesus really telling us to never practice judgment? To never have an evaluation of other people? Is it even possible to not practice judgment? Well, I would say that the answer to both of those questions is no. Jesus is, is not telling us to never judge. The, the Greek word here for, for judge is one of those words that has a, maybe a lot of different possible meanings, which demands that we really take into account the, the context that it exists in. And the context of what Jesus says here, the most natural translation is that Jesus says, do not be condemning. Do not have the attitude of a condemning heart lest you be condemned. Jesus is speaking of the attitude that we have in our evaluation of others and less about whether the actual practice of judgment is okay for Christians to have. Did you read verse six? Do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw pearls before pigs. It seems as though Jesus actually has a, has a focus that we should have some sort of judgment. Or later in chapter seven, he talks about identifying false teachers so it can't be that Jesus tells us to never judge. Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't evaluate others. He is saying that in our evaluation of others, we should resist the urge to be condemning. It would be impossible, even dangerous, to not evaluate other people, to not have a fair critique. Without evaluation, the church turns into this just laissez-faire community in which the only norm of judgment would be our private conscience, right? Whatever you think, that's perfectly fine. That doesn't work. Without evaluation, the church becomes this, just this shapeless blob of arbitrary opinions. We, we make the church and our lives into something that is almost infinitely elastic, just ready to, to, to shape and fit any life that comes to it. That would ruin the church. In fact, that would ruin what Jesus says in chapter five about being the salt of the earth. We've got to have distinction. And so we must practice judgment and evaluation. But just as it is critical to practice this evaluation in the church, it is just as critical to assess our own attitude is where Jesus is going. We must resist having a condemning heart. We've got to resist having this, this, this critic's heart that is always condemning other people. You see, what, what Jesus is saying here, and especially in, in, in the latter part of verse two, is that when you judge, you are setting forth a standard that will be applied to you. What he's saying here is that no one ultimately gets a pass from judgment. 
No one gets to uh, be free from accountability. But actually, what Jesus says is that we are accountable to the standard that we hold others to. In judgment, we don't get to take the higher ground. And that's the crux of what Jesus says in verses one through two, is that we often think in our evaluation of other people that what we can do is take the higher ground. We think when we have a condemning heart that we can play the role of God who alone is actually able to condemn. We think that we are on a different level. We are evaluating others based on our own moral pride. But Jesus here says that instead we should be evaluating other human beings from the knowledge and the admission that we ourselves are human, that we are viewing one another on a level playing field. No one is better than anyone, but we don't like that, do we? Talk back to me. We don't like that, right? Now, we wanna think that we are better than other people. And this shows because our judgment of others is so rarely a fair evaluation, a fair critique. Instead, it's more often this practice of condemnation. We think we have the higher ground, and so we judge other people from the place of privilege. We like to apply a standard to someone else that we think we are somehow exempt from. You know how I know this is true? You wanna know where this shows up most clearly in our life? In our politics. Yes, I'm gonna go there. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that any time your preferred party is in power, all of a sudden there's all kinds of complexity and nuance, right? But when the other team, the other party is in power, it's destruction. <laughs> That's the crux of why politics is so divisive and honestly so lacking forward progress is because we think that whatever crew we're a part of is free from critique. There's all kinds of complexity and nuance that we have to tease out. But when it's the other guys or the other ladies, well, they're worthy of condemnation. Jesus' warning here is that you can't do that. You can't apply a measure or an evaluation of someone else and think that that same standard won't apply to you. When you judge another person, this is the core of it, Jesus is cautioning you. When you judge someone else, when you evaluate another human being, you are placing yourself under the same standard that you are using. You don't operate from the moral high ground, somehow exempt from evaluation yourself. Instead, when a disciple of Jesus practices evaluation, we must do so from a place of truth. And what is true is that each one of us here are on a level playing field. Each one of us are just as broken. We evaluate, we judge, we critique other human beings as a human being. That's the truth of our place. Which gets us to our second principle that Jesus lays out here, which is this. Judgment aligns with the truth. Authentic judgment aligns with the truth. Look at, look at verse three with me. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, 
but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, this is a classic illustration from Jesus, right? If you're going to point out the speck in another person's eye, you better make sure that you don't have a log protruding out of your own. Everyone knows this illustration from Jesus. But in all its familiarity, we often lose the thrust of what Jesus is getting after here. Jesus is trying to help us see that the judgments we offer must always come from the place of what is true, of what is real about others and about you. Listen listen to how John Webster says this. Real, authentic judgment is an attempt to repeat the judgment of God. It's an attempt to point to, to indicate the judgment of God who is himself the truth and who makes the truth known to us. An authentic human judgment isn't a mere point of view or opinion, something that I as judge have created out of my own resources. The making of judgments in the church is by no means a matter of forcing the opinions of some onto the consciences of others. Proper judgment comes from seeing the truth and saying what we see. It's an act of witness that bears testimony to the truth. It says what we must say if we are to live in the truth. And so judgment, or the evaluation that you have, is not done from the place of preference, but is only ever offered as a repetition of what God says and what God sees. We say what we see in the truth. But what does this truth have to do with the image of a log in your eye that Jesus gives? Well, at its core, offering a critique of someone else, pointing out the failures and the flaws of others, all the while not having any self-awareness of your own sins, this is a departure from what is true. It's a perverted judgment. It's a a fantasy, friends, to notice the sins of others without ever seeing yourself as flawed. If judgment, as Jesus lays it out here, is meant to align with what is true, then to offer a critique of someone else while ignoring how messed up you are is not Christian judgment. It's not the way that Jesus lays out here because it doesn't actually point out or live with what is true. Instead, that type of evaluation of others is a perversion of judgment. Again, here's here's John Webster. Listen to this. Perverted judgment is a very different animal. It's not a matter of humble testimony to the truth of God, of repeating the truth that we've been told, but a means of self-exaltation. We all feel that one. Perverse judgment is a servant of one master and one master alone, my self-interest. In this way, perverse judgment is in league with a disorderly and utterly destructive desire that is never far from the surface of every human being, the desire to exalt myself above my fellows. That's, That's the one we prefer, isn't it? We prefer 
the type of judgment that not only exempts us from critique, but also lowers others in comparison with us. That's the type of judgment that we prefer. And this, this self-exaltation is the reason why we, don't see this, why we see the speck in our friend's eye, but don't notice the log in our own eye. You see, we all, what it is is that we have this natural inclination to declare war on the sins of others while making a peace treaty with our own. Anybody else know what that's like? Man, you guys are quiet today. <laughs> we declare war on the sins of others and make a peace treaty with our own. We're ready to point out, ready to notice, ready to critique, but in terms of our own sins, well, I mean, those are really more just character flaws, right? <laughs> we see the, the danger and the destruction of other people's sin, or at least the potential for it. We see that they are deadly, but for us, we just kind of think that, oh, I have, some, I have some character flaws. I have some things I need to work on. So we notice everyone else, but we don't give great weight to our own sins. Because everyone else's sins are more dangerous than our own, then everyone else's sins get the attention. As C.S. Lewis said, those who, do, those who do not think about their own sins make up for it by thinking incessantly about the sins of others. And that's what we do. We think incessantly about the sins of other people because we really believe that their sins are a bigger deal. When your spouse makes you angry and you are so focused and zeroed in on every way that they fail, the reason why that happens is because you really, you might not put it this way, but you really believe that their sin is bigger than yours, more dangerous than yours. But can I help, can I tell you something today? Can I love you enough to tell you the truth a little bit? That right now, your sins carry with them every capability of ruining your life. Your sins have every capability of ruining your marriage. Your sins have every capability of making you into what you hate the most. Your sins have every capability of setting off a nuclear bomb in the hearts of your children and alienating them from you right now. And I know you might, you might feel really good. You might, you might feel like you've, you, you've grown a, a little bit. And that's true, I won't take that growth from you, but you need to see that the sin that still remains in your heart still carries with it such a capability to destroy. No matter how much you've grown, that is still in you. Do you, let me ask you this, do you believe that? Like really, do you believe that what you have in your heart is capable of vast destruction? If not, friend, I'm afraid you might have a log in your own eye. I'm afraid that you might be blind to the destruction that can come. And friend, I, 
I'm harping on this. I want you to see this precisely because I've seen just how much a lack of knowledge of your own sin can really destroy. I've been in ministry for only six years, but I've already seen enough to make me very suspicious of your strength. Very suspicious of that strength. Those who seem strong, I have seen them fall. There are marriages that I've watched grow, that I've watched blossom, that seem idyllic, start off like a fairy tale, and now already the divorce proceedings are finished. The ones you never would have thought all because some sin was probably, probably played down a little bit. And I, I'm not trying to get you to hate yourself here. The Bible should never be used in service of making you feel less than human. You should not hate yourself, but you should have a better suspicion of yourself. Because those little pet sins that you think are so small in comparison to the sins of the person that you're judging or that you're critiquing, those pet sins carry with it every capability to destroy you. The ones that you nurture and that you protect and that you don't think are a big deal. I've, I've, I've shared this story with you before, but I, I know of a friend uh, who had another friend, which is always a great way to start a story, right? I know of a friend who had a friend who did this, um, but this friend of a friend, uh, one time uh, had a snake, a pet snake, um, which already should tell you enough about that person. Um, that if you have a pet snake in here, I love you, but we'll pray for you afterward. Um, and she, she, she got the snake, and it was, I think it was a, a boa constrictor and uh, one of the big ones, you know, not, not just like a, a tiny little one. And so she, uh, she loved this snake, and she nurtured this snake, um, and they grew in such a relationship that she would eventually let the snake sleep in her bed as they were, as they were sleeping. And um, and so usually the, the snake would kind of curl up at the end of the bed uh, while she went to sleep. And then suddenly, as the snake grew and got bigger, she noticed that the snake no longer wanted to curl up at the end of the bed, but would actually lay down beside her, which that's pretty cute, right? She's trying to cuddle, but it was weird because she also wasn't eating. The snake would, would, would not eat the meals that, um, that was being given to it. And so she is growing concerned her pet snake is all of a sudden acting weird, sleeping differently, not eating. So she goes to the vet and tells the vet, hey, here's what's going on. And the vet replies, you need to go home right now and get rid of that snake. Because what it's doing is that it's laying beside you because it's actually measuring itself against you. It's trying to see how much bigger does it need to get until it consumes you. Which, by the way, is why it's not eating. It's waiting for its big meal. That's what your sin is like, friend. That's the little thing that you, that you nurture, that you keep safe, that you don't think is a big deal, has every capability of destroying your life, of taking you captive and bringing death in every relationship that you treasure. Be sober-minded, friends. Judgment always aligns with the truth, which means you must, before you offer an evaluation or critique of anyone else, you must have a truthful assessment 
of who you are and what you carry inside of you. You need to see yourself under the light of what God says about you more than what you say about others. And when we get to that place, when we address ourselves first, taking out that log, we can actually begin to be useful in our evaluation of others, which is where Jesus goes next, showing us that judgment comes from love. Look at, look at me with, with, look at me, look with me at verse four. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So when we address our blindness, Jesus says that we can actually begin to be useful to others in our judgment. I I love that Jesus doesn't just tell you to take the log out of your own eye and then just move on. No, he tells you to take the log out of your own eye in order that you can be helpful in removing the speck in someone else's. You see, this is, this is why I can say that Jesus isn't telling us to, to not evaluate one another and, and to be discerning of each other. Because once this prideful person that Jesus addresses here takes out the log in their eye, Jesus doesn't tell him to move on. No, he tells them that once you're in a place of health and you recognize your own sins and your own propensity toward fallenness, then you can actually be helpful in your critique. Then you can actually love someone enough to address the speck that is in their own eye. And this is important because we need, in our spiritual formation, we need the help of others. And you should be loving enough to be helpful to others. So one of our mantras around here at Icon is that spiritual formation is a community project, always. No one grows alone. If we are to grow up in the faith and be faithful disciples in real life, we really need one another. That community doesn't just meet a psychological need, but actually is necessary for your spiritual formation. But for spiritual formation being a community project, what that requires is that we love one another enough to, after addressing our own sins and having a humility in our own, in our own self, we help one another to see each other's blind spots. In order for our community to be one in which spiritual formation happens, you have got to address the speck in your friend's eye. After taking out your log, I know, I've already said that. But you've got to be loving enough to address the sins of your brother or your sister. Your community group actually needs you in this. And when you punt on the loving responsibility of addressing the sins of those closest to you, you do them a disservice. Rather than punting out of fear or punting out of insecurity, 
We need to have the bold love to call one another out. Who else, who here doesn't like conflict? Man, that's a lot of you. We got a lot of work to do. (laughs) Conflict is good. (laughs) Conflict helps you actually change and grow. And friend, I, I I wanna tell you that. Again, after you take the log out of your own eye, please be bold enough to love your brother or love your sister enough to actually call out the sins that you see. It's like what John Webster says, we say what we see. Well, sometimes we don't say it out of fear, right? We feel insecure. We use humility as as some vague cover for not calling out the sins of others. But that will never get us into mature discipleship. This critique of calling one another out, it needs to be done with an intimate knowledge of our own capability for sin. But having that intimate knowledge of our own sinfulness should never lead us to leave one another alone. This church, your community group, your closest relationships here at ICON, they need you to say what you see. I need you to say what you see. I need close friends who know me and love me enough to say, Joshua, this needs to stop. And you know why I need that? It's not, it's not always because I don't have the motivation to stop doing that. Sometimes it's that, right? Sometimes it's because I don't see it. Sometimes I don't see the, the pride in my own heart. I don't see how it's easy for me to maybe enjoy comfort too much. I'm just blind to it, and so are you, friend. And so we need to love one another enough to actually take out that speck that we see. If our community is to grow into all that it could be, all that God wants it to be, we have to humbly offer our assessments of one another to one another. Don't don't go out and be a jerk and only see what's wrong. Don't go out and Start calling everyone out who you don't actually have a relationship with. Again, you should do this within the context of relationships where it's invited. That's important. It's always that one person, right? Who sees everything and says everything. No, this happens within the context of close relationships where critique is invited. But where it is invited, friend, you better say it. Your, 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 your friend, your brother, your sister needs you to take the speck out of their eye. We need one another if we're going to to see correctly. This is how we think about judgment. Much Much of what Jesus says in verses one through five is all about a caution against judgment. Don't apply a standard that you you don't want applied to you. Don't be condemning. Take the log out of your own eye. But then Jesus in verse six talks about judgment in a different way. Look, Look at verse six with me. Do not give dogs what is holy, And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jesus closes this section on a very important piece that I think can actually give some of us some rest and some freedom, which is this. Judgment knows when to walk away. Judgment knows when to walk away. We must know 
when to withhold our evaluation because we see that it will never be taken seriously. Can I, can I just, uh, maybe some of y'all don't struggle with this, but, but for me, I, I, I always feel like I have to be responsible for someone. If, but if I don't tell them something, then somehow I'm co-opting in whatever falsehood or whatever sin they're, they're, they're in. But sometimes I've seen also, it's just not worth calling other people out. Anybody else experience this? That they just won't accept it. Jesus says here, and I'm gonna tell you this here from the pulpit, some people in your life are just not worth it. Some people in Seattle are not worth the effort precisely because their antagonism resists ever being overcome. That's what Jesus is laying out here. Don't give what is holy, what is precious, what is pure to people who again and again and again and again with antagonism reject. The image is that there's a person who has pearls right before pigs and lays out those pearls and then those pigs go to try to eat it thinking it's food and as they crunch it, it won't buy, they can't eat it and then they get angry and probably attack the person. That's the imagery Jesus lays out here. And what he's trying to say is, if you notice that, if you see that, if you experience that, walk away. Some people are not worth it. Some people are too closed off. And you can pray, but some people are, are, are too closed off. I've, I've experienced this myself. Um, you know, being a, a pastor of a church in Seattle that believes some conservative things around sexuality that the Bible teaches, I've gotten some hate mail. Icon has gotten some hate mail. Uh, and just within the last six months, uh, there are two different examples of people who, who notified us of their extreme displeasure of, of what we believe the Bible says around sexuality. And one of them, while angry at first, was very receptive after a calm response. After I simply said, I would love to hear your perspective and what you think, that, that person was disarmed and although we had, weren't able to have a conversation, they were open to it. Whereas the other person, my calm demeanor was taken as, a, as permission to ratchet up the language. And it was in a situation like that where you've just gotta say, okay, there's no progress that's gonna be made here. And so we must have discernment to know when to walk away, to not offer our critique where it is going to be with great antagonism rejected. So in closing, in all of this judgment and evaluation of ourselves and of one another, let me commend to you just a, a quick practice, which is the practice of confession to one another. So as you've probably seen in this text, the, the practice of judgment and evaluation of one another hinges on the, the knowledge of our own sin, on the practice of confession, of knowing our own dangerous sins and bringing those into the light. And so if you want to have a good relationship with other Christians where you can have some evaluation and some judgment and some critique, the best way to do that, the best way to start that is to start confessing your own sins. Because when you bring all of that into the light, that's where some of that is able to die. If you're suffering, maybe you know it, you're suffering from a log in your own eye, the best thing for you to do 
is to make that known to someone else. That's a safe confession to have. Hey, I feel prideful and better than other people. Wow, thank you for sharing. But when you bring that out into the light and you name it, it begins to lose its power. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his, in his book, Life Together, talked about how confession is a, is a sort of death to self. That as I confess to a friend, what's happening is I am killing their imagery of me. When I make known to my friend where my sin is at, what I'm doing is I'm making sure that they don't have an inflated view of them, and I'm also getting rid of my inflated view of myself. Confession to one another is a type of death to self. And so if you're struggling with the pride that is condemning, that is too much of a critique, confess that. Confess that and bring it into the light so that it can die. But also confess it because when you bring that into the light, that is where an assurance of pardon can happen. Where does the gospel come into all of this? It's right at the center because whenever you confess your sins to one another, your own faults, what happens is that you get to hear from another person the forgiveness of Christ. So, you know, some of the most clear ways that I have felt forgiven by God is when I've made my sin known to another person and they have responded with an assurance of God's forgiveness. So often it seems like the Christ is more vivid in them than it is in myself. So when we confess our sin to one another, our pride slowly begins to die and we are assured of our pardon. We are assured of being forgiven. And from there, friends, we're probably in a more healthy space to practice the judgment that Jesus lays out here. Let's pray. Father, you are the one who judges justly and you see the ways that our heart is prideful. You see the ways that we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. And Father, I, I pray that you would give us a sense that the humility of conviction to see where our sin is and how dangerous it is. Where we are obsessed with all the sins of other people, God, would you give us the grace to really sense and feel just how fallen our own hearts so that we can say with sincerity that old Christian phrase, if not for your grace, O God, so go I. And if it wasn't for your grace, we would each be the worst version of ourselves. Would you give us that humility and would you help us to confess to one another the sins that are in our hearts so that we can be shaped and formed as disciples and so that we can sense and feel hearing from one another the forgiveness that we have in your son. Would you assure us of that grace in Jesus' name, amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, we encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you've heard. 
For more resources and to find out how you can join with us in gathering on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all and we are his.